I can do things that wet without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail with us on a voyage of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and row, row, row in the boat. Next to me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where are we off to today, Mel? Well, Freddie, we've got the unique privilege to hang and sit down with uh, a good old friend, Rick Bastrop. Uh, Rick is a good friend, an Orange County neighbor, uh, kind of a mentor of mine. He's made his mark uh, in the industry as a show designer, writer, project director, and even a music director for themed attractions around the country. Uh, Rick is uh, kind of unique. He's got this amazing mid-century modern rancho house uh, right down the street from Disneyland. He is a cowboy at heart who rode from town to town taming the Wild West regional theme parks and family fun centers uh, through the 90s and then the water parks uh, in, in the turn of the millennium here. His amazing work can be experienced in regional parks all across the country from Great America to Six Flags over Texas. Uh, along the way, Rick completed a host of projects with Really, theme park uh, legends uh, like Ira West, uh, Duell Associates. He was really uh, almost their uh, creative director for anything regarding theming uh, and attractions for all the regional parks that they did. Uh, and then also um, Monty Lund, Technifex. Uh, I know they worked on uh, some early projects together. And Monty, uh, many of you know, founded the entire theme entertainment association. So kind of a big deal. Yes, sir. Rick has a host of campfire tales from the Dusty Trail, and we're lucky to get him on the show. All right, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Well, Mel, you and I can relate to this. Rick Bastrop um, got his start in in this stuff by working as a security guard at Disneyland Hotel uh, a long time ago, you know, and he saw uh, the backstage. He saw what it took to put these things together and then decided to go out and blaze a trail on his own. So where do you, where do you think that impulse comes from? I mean, who does that? You know, there was a unique time, and this is kind of weird for me because I actually got my start at the Disneyland Hotel. I don't know if we've ever even talked about this, but while yeah, I was maybe. still in college, still in film school, I, my first job was a front desk clerk at the Disneyland Hotel. Wow, wow. And, can you get um, me an upgrade? <laughs> yeah, I could work on it. Um, still a few friends there, but, um, <laughs> you know, there was uh, something unique about that. Uh, and again, I was there right after Disney had purchased it and we were, you know, starting the process of transforming it. But there was something about being at the edge of the magic, if you will, uh, and and having kind of the overflow of the pixie dust. Yeah. On the, and the Disneyland Hotel uh, site was really a kind of a unique, magical place. Yeah, uh, an oasis in, in the Orange of the County. City. Yeah, I, I love some of the work of Don Ballard, who's documenting some of that. But I mean, starting off at, as a pretty humble little fifty-room motel to being. Uh, uh, really the predecessor for downtown Disney and the whole retail dining mm -hmm, entertainment mm -hmm. 
district uh, that uh, it's become. Uh, but anyways, with all that said, there was a there was a pretty magic time there at the hotel. Yeah. There was this. Uh, this uh, thing in the 70s called the Seaports of the Pacific, yeah, this right. inland marina uh, that was every bit as detailed and immersive and themed as uh, certainly beyond the level of a lot of regional parks uh, today. And, uh, and again, it was just a, a unique extension of, of Walt's Magic Kingdom. But again, the fact that it was owned by a private business owner um, and uh, bottom line, you could get away with doing a lot of things, uh, a lot of design on a dime, a lot of creativity. And I think between that and his background with Knott's Berry Farm, just seeing that, hey, there's a way to, to, to get stuff done without the layers of uh, bureaucracy and management and yeah. decision making. And uh, again, it was still very much an entrepreneurial uh, time and and setting for uh, for him uh, back in that era as it still was for me when I when I started there. Yeah, I think um, people who get close enough to it, there's there's there it either burns them out or it gives them a desire to create it on their own. And um, Rick's a great great example of that. As we're going to hear uh, how how he took um, you know. Uh, his own love for the wild, wild west, his, uh, his own uh, clo- uh, proximity to the uh, Disney parks and Knott's Berry Farm and uh, turned it into a massive career, to, um, adding that sort of same elements to parks around the country. It's pretty cool. So how, how do you know him? How, how do you how have you connected with Rick over the years? Boy, I've known him for so long that it's it's almost like uh, scratching the, the old memory banks to try <laughs> to remember where we first met but he's definitely one of those kind of almost like wild west characters and it, I, I just love the fact that he is kind of immortalized in in uh, at least one of his rides That's you know, he's right. got There's a an sheriff version of him uh, somewhere uh, he's kind of like a, a living west world <laughs> audio animatronic <laughs> but uh, he's also a musician I love the fact that uh, he's uh, in, a, in a band and still still killing it uh, with their country gigs but we'll get more into that uh, in the interview with Rick but n- needless to say it's going to be a a wild west adventure here so let's shove off uh, to the blue sky loft uh, with our guest today uh, Rick Bastrop who is uh, uh, I'm ex- proud to say uh, one of our uh, strategic partners and executive producers at Storyland uh, Studios in addition to his career with his own firm r r so that's really roll. cool let's yeah. get into it Rick, it's so good to have you here uh, for the recording. Just excited to meet you uh, again and uh, learn from you. I know this has been a long-time relationship um, between you and Mel, so I'd just li- like to start off just hearing a little bit uh, about that history. Well, I am bummed that we're not at your ranch house. I mean, you got probably the best Western mid-century ranch house that <laughs> I've ever been to. But yeah, we I remember uh, the first time you invited me over and since then been, you know, kind of a, a guru and a mentor of mine and uh, and uh, really appreciate the introduction to another special friend of both of ours, Ira West, who I was, uh, I was humbled and honored to get to record an interview with um, before he passed away. But how, how did you first meet Ira? And tell if you could introduce our audience a little bit that hasn't heard of uh, Randall Duell and Associates and Ira, um, maybe just a quick intro to them and then how, how you guys started collaborating. Well, uh, when we started uh, R&R Designs, we, uh, nobody told us we couldn't just go out and talk to everybody. So we did. This is back in the in the 80s. And we started making appointments uh, to go out to uh, Six Flags and Duel and 
and uh, Knott's Berry Farm and so forth, and introduced ourselves. We were building some scale models, and we had some ideas, our design and so forth as we were creating the company. But one of the fortunate things we did was to go out to Dual Corporation. And, of course, we knew them as legendary uh, designers of all the original Six Flag Parks and Opryland and the Marriott's and so forth. So, and just in case our listeners didn't get the memo, this company, Duell, literally designed virtually every yeah. non-Disney theme park in the in world, the world. <laughs> for about 20 years uh, <laughs> through the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, including the original Universe Studios, you know, Hollywood kind of. Uh, hilltop, but uh, I mean the the, the amount of uh, just pure prolific number of parks that uh, you guys collaborate on is insane. Yeah, and uh, of course we knew that history. We were big history buffs about parks. In fact, when we first started, we went out all across the United States and visited dozens of parks, Opryland, and all of that, getting a little bit more as to what what was going on beyond just Southern California. But uh, we met uh, Ira, was just a wonderful guy, and turned out eventually to be really my best friend in the business for so many years. Uh, and uh, they brought us in. We started doing some small projects and so forth, and that accelerated until we did really a lot of their thematic stuff, where they wanted something with uh, animatronics or really thematic-type stories and dark rides and that. They'd come to us because that's what we really enjoyed uh, doing, we specialized in. Uh, from that, accelerated into doing the MGM theme park in Las Vegas together, all the big rides there, uh, and projects in uh, Guilin, uh, China, and Shenzhen, China, uh, South Korea. So that it was a great opportunity for us to work with some great people, and we had a great synergy together. Well, I've uh, I've actually gotten to experience a few of those projects that are still still rolling. Any uh, any favorites of those collaborations over the years? I would say probably with the stuff we did with them was the uh, Grand Canyon Rapids and the Backlot River Tour at the MGM Theme Park. And uh, they just let us really kind of run amok with that stuff. And I wanted a 43-foot Bell Huey helicopter coming 19 feet out of the ground out of a pit. <laughs> and they said, okay, no problem. So uh, <laughs> That was the uh, Apocalypse Now kind of moment. <laughs> you know what? It started as Apocalypse Now. And as actually I was working with Francis Ford Coppola for a while or with Ira. We'd go up to his house. And that's just kind of a uh, kind Zip of a little line. back story <laughs> that that ride was going to be Apocalypse Now. And uh, the, he couldn't work out a deal with uh, uh, the MGM folks. And so then we just changed it. And I put that last scene in and I called it Jungle Storm. And it, it had the helicopter and it had uh, Flight of the Valkyries coming on and the explosions <laughs> going on and so forth. But, yeah, it was, it was quite an effect. That, that was, and then also the, the uh, Grand Canyon Rapids, which people still talk about, uh, and that was through the Old West with the uh, tube, tube ride. But it went into a uh, robbery in progress in the, in the bank with a marshal who, in fact, was me. They carved the marshal after me, which oh, was yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, that was that was me. They carved. They wanted somebody to look kind of mean, I guess, or <laughs> something. And uh, they they made the marshal after me, and he's shooting it out with the bad guys. And you go down through caverns and explosions and so forth. And uh, I was playing a soundtrack as you came in of the Magnificent Seven and yeah. things. I like was you know I love the old west stuff. So that that was one of my favorites. So that along with Yosemite Sam, the old west stuff. <laughs> 
It was my favorite stuff. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that uh, they had a, a flood or a fire out there recently at the— Unfortunately, yeah, they got a hold of me, and they had a flood that— In fact, I think you saw the ride, weren't you? At yeah, the I, ride? I experienced it a couple times. It was a great little uh, adaptation of the original Six Flags uh, dark ride, the, the original—I think it was a Spelunker's cave, cave originally, right? And the funny thing is, is that I read designed that Spelunker's cave Wow. when it was falling apart when we went in and, and turned it into uh, Yosemite Sam, and I can tell you lots of stories about that it was a, just a great ride and a great experience but it's one of the few looney tunes uh uh dark rides uh that is uh on a slow moving boat which is great the gold river adventure yeah and uh just recently i guess they had a flood there and i i've been talking to six flags we're hoping to maybe rebuild it but who knows <laughs> it was there for maybe 25 years or maybe more wow yeah it's so what uh, gets me excited is um Get going beyond the uh, Disney's and Universals, and so I wanted to uh, hear a little bit more too about your experience working with those regional parks that are um, back when they were actually theme parks. Yeah, back when they are, that, right, yeah, right. That's <laughs> right. So um, tell 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 me how it is that you uh, connect with these parks, and like you said, you were you were brazen because you didn't know uh, that you you weren't allowed to be, and you just walked in with uh, concepts and ideas. How did that work? That was basically it. We really started as, as model builders, and, and we uh, came up with some concepts. Uh, uh, Richard came to the Disneyland Hotel where I was running security at the time. Uh -huh. But I'd always been in the music business and around the theme park business and that. And, and we, we just hit it off. And these guys are incredible artists, and I'm a writer. And Richard Farron. Right? Richard Farron, yeah, uh, uh, my business partner. And uh, we... Uh, just began doing doing work together, and uh, we built a couple of models. Now, one model we built was I designed a thing called Mystery Island Rapids, and it was an indoor water park. Okay, and we took that all around the Six Flags to people. It was, it was a big, it was a big model like this with all the slides and that. And everybody says, "No, it'll never work." You know, indoor water park. We couldn't get anybody interested. Well. You see it now everywhere, the Great Wolf yeah. Lodge. We also did a thing called the Western Shootout, which was a shootout ride where you went through the Old West again, and you were shooting at targets and so forth. And uh, those were just our ideas, and we brought them in. And again, that never really got off the ground, but it inspired other people to start Sally Corporation, who does those. Yeah saw some of the models, and they told me flat out, they said, this is where we got the ideas to do you know, a ride-through type Thing. So anyway, we were kind of ahead of our time at, at that time, but they saw the model-making abilities. And they said, hey, we need a model of Camp Snoopy, which was – it was huge. It was, you know, 10 feet by, by 12 feet or something. It was huge, yeah. even in HO scale or eighth-inch scale. So um, we started doing that, but that very quickly started going into design work. Yeah. And, uh, again, we were out talking to people. We started going to IAPA, and it just accelerated from there. I remember seeing that Camp Snoopy model at the uh, park entrance the, <laughs> yeah. the first time wow, that I yeah. moved out to California. Yeah, we just we used to build under construction. We used to build those models for for knots. Every time they'd have a, a new ride, we'd do it for Magic Mountain. We did it for Sally, so we built a couple dozen models, and it was fun. It's time consuming, but it's kind of a lost art now. You don't yeah, see it. We don't get to do too many of those. Too much. It's three dimensional computer, you know, fly throughs and yeah. so forth. But you know. Always ready to build another model if somebody wants one. Uh, that's, that's cool. So I just think of the the decades of shift and change, and you know the the changes in the industry. You know, um, your take on um, I'd, I'd love your take on you know again that evolution of the especially the regional theme park industry from you know the the original Six Flags concept of celebrating the unique story of the people in place of you know places like Texas or 
uh, Georgia or, you know, middle America, uh, you know, to, you know, today almost being kind of, uh, you know, moving towards that collection of just hardware roller coasters. Um, was that something that you saw kind of evolve slowly or is that, uh, well, you know, it evolved slowly, but it's, it's been accelerating, you know, with, uh, People are so used to living day and night with their computers and, and cell phones and you know virtual reality and on and on uh, that uh, you know we see that accelerating and of course we stay up in technology the best we can but uh, it, it, it has changed dramatically. Uh, we used to go to the Six Flags parks and they, they would have a boat ride, uh, you know, like a Jungle Cruise type ride and, and those kind of things or Yosemite Sam or or that and, and you know we don't see it as much anymore and it's a lot of coasters and, and things like that but there's still a lot of opportunities I, I do a lot of work for different parks indiana beach and and people like that out there i do a lot of rehab work and and design work for some of those companies uh seaquarium i was working on down in uh in miami and and so forth so there's still a lot of opportunities there even though people are spending 25 30 million dollars on a coaster now yeah it has been refreshing especially um well but six flags with the sally corp uh, justice league rides and uh even cedar fair you know doubling down like with the calico river rapids you know kind mm-hmm. of it almost reminded me of actually your old uh mgm grand canyon uh, rapids ride of bringing in those western well so, somebody involved in in that ride um told me who was involved in the design and that said people were saying you know what this reminds me of it's a really <laughs> cool ride in uh in uh, Las Vegas, yeah, down to the yeah. Old West, because that was tremendous. And we took them through three big buildings with, you know, explosions and, <laughs> and caverns and waterfalls. I mean, it was, they just let us run amok. Everything we drew, they built. That yeah, was great. So and that cool. was working with Ira and Duel and all yeah. that. They just trusted us. And, and uh, you know, we didn't have to go through big meetings and so forth. And that's something Rick and I have always done is we're able to move quick and efficiently because we don't have big staffs of, of people. Mm. You know, and we learned most of the disciplines ourselves, lighting, sound, uh, design, uh, color, uh, you know, uh, graphics and all of that. Uh, so we don't need to really depend on a lot of people and we can get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, it really does remind me of like, you know, old school wed enterprises, you yeah. know, uh, you know, guys like Bob Gurr and a small team just pulling stuff together rather than figuring kind of out layers and layers and departments and departments of, uh, you know, I'd love to see you in a sprint relay race uh, between a, a project that you're leading versus uh, <laughs> any corporate, you know, kind of. Uh, well, we did, uh, we did a lot of work on uh, Jaws Ride. And the original Jaws ride in Orlando. Yeah. And uh, I was writing all the scripts and the music and some of the scenes and so forth and the cue line and that. But we would go in there and there might be 18 or 20 people in a design meeting, you know. And uh, uh, it was hard to get stuff done. I mean, not saying that the quality wasn't wasn't great. Yeah. We did you know did the ride with them and so forth. But it was it was somewhat different for us because we're used to dealing with so many people yeah. you know, involved in something. We're just used to kind of doing it. They'll say, what is this going to be? I'm going to, well, here, here's a ride. Here's a story. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Draw yeah. it up. Let's build it. You know, get the pricing and here we go. Well, you've got to be involved with some just really unique and special places that are probably off of a lot of people's kind of radar screen. Um, you know, my family had a, a magical summer vacation actually in Santa Cruz one year, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I first got exposed to, uh, you know, with the the classic 80s 
teen horror movie, <laughs> Lost right. Boys, but you Lost know, but, but uh, you know, tell, tell us about some of the work that you've done with some of these independent places like Santa Cruz uh, Beach and Boardwalk. And uh, Well, Santa, Cru- Santa Cruz is, you know, is, is one of my favorite. We've done a lot of stuff there. We did the Cave Train Adventure, which we did a dark ride there, and then we did the, uh, the uh, Haunted Castle ride for them. But uh, my favorite thing there is the Neptune's Kingdom which we went out there and they had the 1904, I think it was, plunge building, this big, huge, open yeah, plunge building. And uh, they said, well, what are we going to do? Should we t- pull some of this out or do that? I said, are you kidding me? I mean, they got all that jewels burned. You couldn't afford to build that architecture. Stuff. No, you yeah. couldn't. So basically we came up with Neptune's Kingdom, which was a combination of the Buccaneer uh, Bay miniature golf and the uh, Smuggler's Arcade and, and so forth. Uh, and I put a, uh, an elevator inside the lighthouse inside there and so forth. Uh, so... That was a fun project, and, and occasionally we go up, and they keep it up really great, and we've added uh, more animated characters and so forth. The uh, the golf course there, Buccaneer Bay Miniature Golf, uh, it's a story. It's the stories you go through. You meet a guy in the dungeon, he's telling you about the treasure. You go up in the gun deck, and you finally find the, the treasure at the end. So the whole thing is a quest going through, and uh, we've added characters and animation and so forth to it. There's cannons firing and music playing from old pirate movies and it was just great. So that, that's that's one of my favorite places. We've done so much work there over you know over the years. Uh, and we've worked on the on the East Coast at uh, uh, Mariner's Landing, things like that. So it's kind of been all over but I really enjoy working a lot with this you know smaller mid mid range people. Yeah. Definitely a more personal relational level over uh, a lot of years and, and that those uh, those have kind of a different type of paycheck uh, rather than just working through uh, corporate purchasing departments and so on and so forth. So my wife and I were talking the other day about Raging Waters and that that to her is her uh, home park. Uh-huh. Uh, so t- talk to me about what you did there and then uh, that'll transition us into water park stuff because I'm really interested in that as well. At that period of time, there when Raging Waters came along, there really wasn't any water parks other than the wet and wild they're building or had just built in Florida. So they wanted to uh, build a water park up there at Benelli Park. And so we got involved and they wanted themed out to a certain amount of point and so forth. So we were on the original design team for that. And, uh, put that together. Now, subsequently, I go up there, I just read, I just redid some of the buildings and stuff this, this year, uh-huh. repainted and so forth, and we've redone the entrance a couple times and graphics and so forth. But uh, when we first went up there and opened Raging Waters, I, I remember the morning we opened it, the guy had uh, one of these little skipplers, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hit the <laughs> tail. So, uh, the uh, bobcat had a bobcat, and he was picking up a big pile of dirt out of the main walkway down as people were coming down. He was putting oh, it out. Wow. I mean, it was that down to the wire. But it was so unusual that, uh, and I actually have a tape of this, Ripley's Believe It or Not came out, you know, with uh, 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 Pallets, Jack Pallets, you know, Believe It or Not. <laughs> and they came out and said, look, there's a, a wave pool here and there's not even an ocean and there's some slides and they come down a hill. So it was that, that unique, you know? Yeah, right. And we, so we were able to, to be involved in that from, like I said, the start of the American Waterside Association that went into the American Water Park Association. Now it's the World Water Park Association. Yeah, that's but right. uh, we were charter members of that and uh, involved in the Raging Waters. But I, I just did work this year for Raging Waters and Raging Waters up in uh, Sacramento, too. Just rehab the front gates and 
things like that. So that 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 started getting us into the water park um, industry. So what are the, I guess, high-level trends or things that you've seen kind of uh, in terms of industry evolutions in that water park industry over the years? Well, some are themed, some are not. Usually people come to us uh, for thematic-type things, uh, say like the Soak Cities, the Soak City at Knott's Berry Farm, or we actually redid the other Soak Cities at uh, Palm Springs and down in San Diego and so forth. So we, we would come in and do... Uh, all the the colors and the graphics and design all the buildings and the thematic things along the road. So that uh, it just kind of transitioned. We did all the Hawaiian Falls parks uh, in uh, Texas over the years, uh, seven or eight of those water parks. So we we started becoming. Actually, we've been doing some water some water stuff with Raging Waters that when we first met Duel. And, and so when MGM came up, they go, well, these are the water guys. So we were known as the water guys. So we're, that's why we did the uh, Backlot River Tour with the, gotcha, with yeah. the tour boats, uh, which incidentally was kind of interesting because those were the boats from Jaws in, in uh, um, Florida. Wow. In Florida. And they took those boats out, but new boats, and then we used those boats in MGM. I'm hoping they're still out there somewhere. Maybe I can use them on another connection. ride. Wow. But uh, we got kind of transitioned in, into water parks. We've just always, always done, been, been doing them, you know, and uh, uh, basically the thematic stuff and the, the buildings and sound systems, banners, you know, graphics, all those kinds of things that theme, that theme out. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they're felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. Well, I, I, I'm bummed that there's no longer a, a functioning audio animatronic Sheriff Rick uh, <laughs> sitting around, but uh, I know you have a, a, an affinity uh, for the, the Wild West and uh, tell me, tell me about that. Tell me about kind of the extracurricular activities from the the music to um, the your your house. I mean, when, whenever we get the the contract to do Westworld, uh, you are the guy. <laughs> I can't wait to collaborate on that one. Well, you know, I I grew up with that, and I guess I was always fascinated with the West. I, I grew up on John Wayne movies, and and the Magnificent Seven and things like that. And, and, and those were times when really movies, you aspired to be heroic. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, nowadays movies, not so much. You know, the good guys aren't always the good guys. You know, yeah, back, back in, then there was <laughs> white hats and black hats yeah, and there, good there guys were. and bad guys. And that, that was an inspiration to me. So I always loved the Old West and, and learning about the history of it and so forth. And, and that just transitioned whenever somebody wants to do something like that yeah. about the Wild West. I know a lot about the history of it and so forth and can inject that, inject that into it. So what's your uh, favorite uh, Western attraction that either you've worked on or just experienced? Oh, it would have to be uh, it have to be the uh, Grand Canyon Rapids and Yosemite Sam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because uh, yeah. Yosemite Sam actually on on that I helped write all the music for it. We did original music, and then I played all the guitar. I've, I've played guitar since I was a, a kid and performed, and I, I still do. I still have a, a band, The Nocturnes, and and Richard, my partner, plays sax, and then I play guitar and trumpet, and so we still. We still play tomorrow. Actually, we're playing in we're playing in your Belinda tomorrow, and you're going to be there. Awesome. And uh, uh, so I enjoyed Yosemite Sam a lot because I got to help write the music, and I played all the guitar That's parts. A jack of all trades, right in, there. In the music, yeah, and, uh, and that was fun, along with writing the, the scripts and working with the Warner Brothers uh, people and so forth, and writing the scripts, and then doing all the recording with all the various people who do the voices and that. Well, I've got to ask, what's your favorite Western movie? Usually we always just get away with asking about your favorite hey, attraction. Attraction, what's the yeah, movie? Yeah, what's your favorite Western? The Magnificent Seven. Really? I've seen it I assume the original, 50 times. Not, not the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, Big Jake, and Real Bravo. Yeah. And Tombstone. You can't, you got to have Tombstone, to Tombstone in it. We just yep. took the, the kids to Tombstone for spring break. Oh, pretty, did you? Pretty, the Real Tombstone. Epic. The Real Tombstone. Pretty yeah, I've, I've been there, yeah. yeah tell, me, tell me what you think about Silverado. That's actually my favorite. Oh, Silverado? Well. Oh, Silverado was great. That's up, That's up in there, too. Yeah. yeah. Not quite as good as Tombstone. No, I, not quite we, as good as Tombstone. <laughs> but I was at, oh, that was great. I'm your Huckleberry. Too. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Well, how about your favorite? Uh, you guys have been around the world. You've uh, you, just your favorite park in general that uh, you've had a chance to experience. I think about it. I've been, you know, to Tivoli and, and those kind of things yeah. and seen that and ridden their coaster with the guy running the uh, the brake. I'm <laughs> you sure you've seen that yeah. and so forth. Uh, probably my favorite park of all time was Pacific Ocean Park. No I, I love that park. When I was a kid, it inspired me. And I like Disneyland. I love yeah. Knott's Berry Farm. I get pictures of me in the train there when I was 10 years old and so forth. But uh, Pacific Ocean Park was always my favorite. There was some uh, aura of, of um, excitement there on the well, ocean. And for the amount of intentionality and design that was put into it and for the short-lived duration of it, um, I definitely, it's one that was, I wish I could have experienced. Uh, for anyone that hasn't heard of Chris Merritt's uh, coffee table book um can't recommend it enough that was just oh yeah a, i've got it in job. fact i'm quoted in it a few times yeah <laughs> he interviewed me for it because i i had gone out there and you know and it inspired me on some of the stuff that i saw uh, or that i designed a, along the road that's uh, yeah i mean if there it was just the perfect googie mid-century modern jetsonian kind of uh theme park <laughs> on the water and you know it had the best elements of this tiki culture that's kind of that's right getting revived with that kind of space age fun googie architecture well it had so, a number of dark rides in that and that's what i always oh, sure, loved yeah. i mean literally along the way i'm trying to turn everything Banana into train. a dark ride you know yeah. a, a, a riverboat ride it <laughs> goes through a building it's got to be a dark ride so that's what we're always doing. It's kind of like my projects are between dark rides, you know, whenever we do that. Because it's fun. You can tell a complete story and you control everything, the environment. Well, how far have you been able to take that with uh, some of the, the water park uh, 
you know, slide rides in, in, in terms of integrating some of those layers of story beyond just the, the graphics and signage? The, uh, the people at Highland Hills Waterworld, if you're acquainted with yeah. uh, Voyage to the Center of the Earth, uh, our, our ride up there, it's still the most popular ride in the park, and it's like 25 years ago we did that. It's amazing. We're, uh, we were working on that at the same time. That was opening in July, and MGM, where we had like three attractions we were doing there, including the Deep Earth Exploration, um, that was opening in November. So I was flying back and forth be- between those. But Highland Hills, we'd done one called... Um, Lost River of the Pharaohs, and that won the Innovation Award at the World Water Park Association. Uh, and that was a dark ride. You go through the Pharaoh's Kingdom and into a volcano and all, all kinds of stuff. Well, from there, then we did Voyage to the Center of the Earth, which is a quarter-mile-long inside dark ride in a tube ride uh, with a big T-Rex and dinosaurs <laughs> and a Lassmosaurus that comes out at you and comes over your head and all of that. And, and that ride is still—both of those at Highland Hills are still— Still cooking there. Uh, we just won the Golden Ticket Awards, if you're acquainted with amusement today. And we won the Golden Ticket Award for that ride a couple years ago because it's so popular after 25 years. We're always trying to convince people to do a dark ride somewhere or <laughs> something. But Highland Hills was great. You know, we, we had a, a lot of fun doing those. And, and we still, in fact, I, I just this year put in some special effects and illusions and that into the, the Pharaoh's ride for them. Nice. Yeah, I was. I've, I've kind of been bummed to to not see that go further with uh, even some of the the state of the art you know water parks uh, out there because it, it's just such a, another layer of experience beyond just the, the initial thrill. And the, you know, and the kids love it. Like I said, that's still the most popular ride. Actually, those two rides we both we won the Innovation Award and World Water Park for both of them. And we thought at that time we thought, boy, we're on the road. We're going to be building <laughs> a dozen of these all you know every year at parks because we were so excited and. And uh, but it just that that portion did not pan out. We're still open to. What do you think the reason for that is? It is maintenance? Is it? Uh, it's expensive. Or it's expensive. You have to go through buildings. You have to build a building, yeah. just like a dark ride to go through. And it's uh, it's just the capacity and maintenance. ROI. Well, the capacity doesn't change because it's still a, a river ride. Mm-hmm. It slows down, speeds up, slows down, speeds up as it goes through, but. Uh, Part of it is, uh, at this point in time, budget and money. Mm-hmm. So what's your, uh, your uh, either the one that got away or your bucket list uh, <laughs> attraction that uh, if someone gave you a blank check uh, that uh, <laughs> without giving away free IP? <laughs> you know what? And this probably goes back to my Pacific Ocean Park days, yeah. but I always wanted to do a simulated underwater ride. I've got all these gags and, you know, in sets and things. Actually, we designed an underwater walkthrough once with Duel for Trump at Trump Tower. And I, I, Duel went in, and, and uh, um, Ira actually presented it to him, and it was a walkthrough. We went through under the sea and that, and it, it never happened. They were going to do it at the up in uh, um, um, what Atlantic, to say? City uh, Atlantic City. Right? I'm trying to say Kansas City. It's Atlantic, <laughs> Atlantic City. Uh, so for I can see uh, Atlanta City, <laughs> the ride. It's the close. <laughs> so uh, for um, Santa Cruz, they wanted to redo the Cave Train Adventure, which I'd seen, and it was like this falling apart type thing with the old cavemen and so forth. 
And uh, they wanted to do something with that. So I put together and wrote a story of the, un, the undersea train. And it actually became like a submarine. It went to look like a submarine with the windows open. But as you went through, it was all simulated with with lights and so forth and just sharks and funny things. And I just was having a great time. Uh, so we presented it to them, and they loved it. And I brought up the lights, and we were putting the lights on the wall on that. And a couple of weeks later, they got a hold of me and said, you know what? The people in the community here, which is very important to them, said they want the cave train. They, they don't want anything else in uh, outer space. They don't want yeah. underwater. And, and they well, listened. It had become a classic They already, listened but, to their yeah. clientele. So therefore, went in, I rewrote all the stories for the cave train and actually utilized all eight or ten of the old characters. They're in the scene, uh, which is the dance scene, mm. and used them. And all the other characters were, were new, and uh, uh, Garner Holt did that for us. And, and we rehabbed some of the characters, and, and, and that's what's there now is a complete remake of the cave train, and at the end it ends up in the ice caverns and so forth. Yeah. Uh, but back to your original question, what would I like to do? I'd still like to do an underwater you know, a simulated fun. underwater yeah. dark ride. That's yeah. what I'd like to do. I know it's been done, you know, a few times with Disney stuff, but uh, yeah. Well, I got to say the uh, the Cape Train is pretty, pretty, not just quirky, but really cool in terms of that local flavor. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know the origins of the cavemen. Did they start on the Sky Ride or where, was it was it out of that original dark ride? It was out of the original dark ride, which, um, and I couldn't even give you the, the year of it, but I know long before I started my business, I went up there to, to see Santa Cruz for the first time because I was a, kind of a park enthusiast and wanted to see the parks and that, and rode the cave train, and it was really funky and that, but yet it was still cool. Still true. I enjoyed it. I had no idea that 10 years later, 12 years later, whatever, I'd be Redoing, yeah. redoing the whole thing and taking wow. all the characters out and relighting it. What's interesting about that is the whole thing is a painted dark light. Everything in it is a UV and versus just when you look at it, it looks like it's painted and lit. It, it's that good the way the guy painted it, the, the guy was working on it with us. So, uh, yeah, that's still still going. Still going strong up there. Speaking of uh, cave trains, I'd, um, I – one of my favorite parks, sort of growing up here in Southern California, is Knott's Berry Farm, and um, uh, so that so therefore I'm a fan of Bud Herbert and uh, his his great work. And I know that you had an opportunity to work with him along the way. And um, t- tell me about uh, some of those projects at uh, Knott's and those other um, things you got to do with some of those classic giants in the business. I met uh, I met Bud when I was working at Oxford Farm. I was working in operations and security, and I was doing my building my business at the same time. But I, I I got to meet Bud, and I'd go out and hang out at his shop there where he built the trains and so forth. Yeah. And so subsequently, when he left there, sold his uh, sold the log ride and the cave or the, uh, the calco mine, mine. Calco mine, right? Uh, and moved out and built Castle Park. Then we would go out to Castle Park, and and we designed the uh, the uh, circus building there for them, and the, we did theming for a number of the rides here. In fact, I just was doing some theming for Palace up there. So that's how we got to know Bud. But more than anything, we'd go up and just and sit and talk. You yeah. know, it was great. I I was fortunate to to know Dave Bradley, you know, who had Beverly Park that yeah. Walt would come to. And hear all those stories and uh, work with him, uh, Ira West, and that. So we were very fortunate at the start to get to know these people. I guess they just liked our enthusiasm. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, in, in whatever talent we were showing at the time, and, and, and they loved the enthusiasm and just uh, start cutting us loose. So, you know, we ended up doing 
projects directly with Bradley and Kay, Dave Hurlbut, and so forth. But do you think that's possible these days? I mean, so you, uh, you, this back in the '80s, you, you're walking in the door of these theme parks with uh, enthusiasm, and that won the day. Um, do you think that's possible these days? Uh, uh, obviously, you're still doing business, so it, it does to some degree. But um, how about uh, young, op- not just operators, young um, folks who are trying to get into the industry and provide a, a service like that? I have to be honest is that it, it's a lot tougher now than it was back then. You couldn't uh, just call Knott's Berry Farm right now and say, hey, listen, I've got some models and some ideas I'd like to show you. And then they give you a corporate number, yeah. you know, or a website or something else to, to go to. So we were very fortunate uh, in our enthusiasm and our talent and so forth to be in the kind of the right place at the right time where we could just walk into uh, uh, Kings Island. Uh, Kings Island, we did. Uh, Phantom Theater and Adventure Express there. And Adventure Express was the last uh, aero coaster, I believe. Mm. And so we got to work with, uh, I got to know um, the people from, from Aero. Uh, and I, I can't think of the gentleman's name now, the president, but he became a friend of ours. And uh, we were just fortunate at that time to be able to do that. Nowadays, it's it, it would be a lot tougher and you need to get affiliated with somebody mm-hmm. in this business I don't think you could get out and knock on doors too much anymore. You certainly try. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I make a point of anybody who gets a hold of me to give them as much information as I can and send them stuff about I've, I've got some kids now that were at the last TEA thing. And they're, I'm, I'm sending them information and back and forth. I'm going to do a little uh, recording with them on, on stuff. So I try to help people out the best I can. I refer them to IAPA and uh, Amusement Today magazine. I tell yeah. them, this is what you need to do, learn. Learn, yeah. learn, and learn and make contacts with people. So it's possible, but but not not like we had it. Well, that's why um, it's we appreciate you uh, giving us your time too. This is uh, this is great to sit and learn with you and and uh, dig in. I know our audience appreciates it. Absolutely. We uh, like to say we didn't we didn't have any rules on us necessarily, <laughs> other than just the rules of doing things right. But uh, nobody said that we couldn't. Uh, let's say uh, Yosemite Sam. We did that again. I'll go back to that. It's my, one of my favorite rides. But I'll tell you a, a brief story on that. Is when it opened, I was standing on the dock and watching, and then the boats were going by, and a mother came up with a wheelchair with a, a little kid, and his name was Marco because I still remember. And that was 35 years ago. A little crippled kid eight years old or something, and she was trying to put him in the boat and couldn't do it, and the, and the operators couldn't help her. You yeah, know, they can't yeah. touch the kid. They got to drop him. So I picked the kid up and put him, put him in there and with his little sister. Got in the back of the boat, and we rode through. And through the whole ride, he was laughing and giggling, and his sister yeah. was giggling, and Yosemite pops up, and he shoots at you, but as he shoots, he hits the barrels across the way, and it, yeah. it pours out. And he's protecting his sister. We came back in, and they go, we want to go again, we want to go again. And I could say, they say, okay, do it, because they knew me, I'm the designer. So we rode through like three times. We get out, I pick the kid up, put him, put him in the wheelchair, and uh, mother goes, well, who, who are you? And I said, well, I, I designed this ride, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So they were pretty, pretty excited about it. And I always think of that kid, but I always remember what I felt at that time, and I felt this is as good as it gets. I felt that it was like a, a, a euphoric type of a feeling, like an epiphany in essence. And I realized that all the hard work and all the all night long sessions and trying to get things right that didn't work and so forth, you know, all became real to me because I saw what that effect was. And yeah. through all the years, through all the projects I've done, and in fact, you know, I've had 
tremendous experience and I love to watch people doing stuff because they don't know who I am, you know, and I did see the joy in them. But in essence, that was as good as it gets. Yeah, it really <laughs> you know, is. I've had a lot of great experiences, but I've never had anything better than that when I realized I really belonged in this industry and what it what it really means to people. That, meant is, to so people. Cool. that is unique, especially when you have the experience of being on stage as a musician like you will tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, kind of being a rock star is always cool, but, hey, yeah. that doesn't compare to seeing the, the reaction of that kid, uh, you know, meeting his favorite characters in real space in real time. So thanks so much. Well, I love that. I and mean, that's a great way to close. I mean, we just think about what um, the reason why people – um, spend their lives uh, being creative and, and pouring into this industry and building places that families can go is so that um, that opportunity, like that kid Marco, um, could enjoy the time with his sister um, and really take uh, take that memory through life. And it's folks like you and all of our other guests that uh, are providing that. So we really appreciate you and, and your you career. Oh, I appreciate you guys uh, bringing me on. Love talking to you. Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you on again. I hope that's uh, open for you. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. Oh man. It is uh, fun to think that, uh, Rick has had a touch in so many things. I mean, I, I'm a little bit bummed out that I never got to see his Yosemite Sam thing because it really is an extension of his personality. You know, this guy with a big mustache who uh, uh, is out there trying to wrangle the fun. And that's uh, that seems like a little bit of uh, who Rick Bastrop is. He's a person a personization of uh of Yosemite Sam seems like a fun it, guy. It does blow me away that you have to go all the way to Abu Dhabi to to you know step into a dark ride version of the I know Looney Tunes. IP, That's really strange. You know, um, Six Flags having the IP and, and Universal trying to do something with the IP uh, here in the U.S. But uh, regardless, um, yeah, what a what a unique chapter in uh, theme park history that. Uh, Rick is, uh, you know, it, it, it reminds me of uh, one of my first podcast experiences uh, when I was on the season pass. And I and I just had the, the amazing joy and privilege of being able to interview uh, Ira West, who uh, was really the president of Duell Associates, um, really the firm. I mean, the only firm uh, besides Disney Imagineering and the, and the only guys that were doing it for non-Disney parks from Universal to Six Flags to Opryland to you name it. Uh, and and to be able to interview Ira before he passed away and to kind of capture this this chapter and uh, this yeah. legacy. And um, and now I, I think I remember, I think Ira was the connection between uh, oh, Rick and I. And so, it. yeah, again, so great to be able to capture that. And again, we're, we're loving the collaborations. I mean, again, Rick represents an era where you just got stuff. I mean, it really does harken back to the old uh, wet Imagineering days yeah. uh, of Bob Gurr just uh, having Walt giving him some impossible task and, you know, you know, him just, yep, can do, can do. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, anyway, so yeah, it really is on, on the one hand, a, a throwback, uh, but what a, what a great chapter to document. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for our listeners, if they want to, uh, check out sort of an appendix to this, that interview with Ira and you is really, really fantastic on the season pass podcast. Just check it out. Um, and, uh, we are, um, just thrilled to kind of, uh, dig in with those kinds of folks who have, uh, made their mark in the themed entertainment industry really really fun well this looks like a good time to turn the boat around and head off into the sunset now until next time 
Thanks. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. Leave us a review on iTunes Podcasts and share the show with your friends. We really do appreciate it. We know uh, there are a lot of podcasts to listen to, and we just are so honored that you've chosen to listen to ours. We want to thank our guest, Rick Bastrop. You can learn more about Rick and his portfolio at rnrdesign.com. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, an insider's look at theme park design by theme park designers. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at skipperfreddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry works so hard behind the scenes to keep this podcast ship shape. He even vacuums the boat cushions between every episode. I asked him the other day, how's that new bagless vacuum working for you? His answer, it sucks. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>